off. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the episode one of the Hockey Toolkit. I am Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And uh, we are your uh, two co-hosts here. Uh, <laughs> excuse us for a little bit here. We're still trying to work out the kinks and stuff, but we're uh, we're looking to have some fun. And actually, um, Andrew and I, we've uh, been going back and forth for what? quite a few quite a few years yep. um this is the first time we've actually seen each other face to face across a computer screen so uh <laughs> it's uh it's cool but uh i uh you know look forward to uh what we're doing here but you know what uh before i even jump in go ahead andrew uh why don't you let uh, everybody know kind of give yourself a, a little introduction no pressures <laughs> sure well thanks for the <laughs> intro trevor i'm excited about what the hockey toolkit can bring to us and listeners and and creating kind of a unique dialogue uh, and we us bring our kind of a fresh take on on what you know makes a hockey program run and makes uh, hockey programs successful. Uh, my name is Andrew Trimble, as I stated earlier. I'm the uh, general manager and the co-owner of the New England Wolves in the Eastern Hockey League. I grew up playing hockey in Manasquan, New Jersey. It's a it's a shore town uh, about an hour south of New York City. Uh, I grew up in a program called the Brick Hockey Club, which has produced a bunch of NHL players like the Van Riemsdyks and Jim Dowd. And in fact, Jim Dowd was like uh, I mean I was. You know, 10 or 11, 12 years old, uh, he had just won the Stanley Cup with with the Devils in '95, and it was like, you know, he was he was the he was the aspirational guy who, you know, spawned a lot of kids the opportunity to play hockey. So, uh, big shout out to Jim and all he did for New Jersey hockey. Uh, after a high school career, I, I played junior hockey in New Hampshire, and then I went and played uh, collegiate hockey at SUNY Buffalo State. Uh, after college hockey, I got involved in the investment world, and I worked. Uh, for a number of different companies in New York City and New Jersey and Philadelphia. Um, but in around 20, uh, 2008, 2009, I got up the bug for coaching. And I you know, hadn't been in a rink from, in probably four or five years, but uh, I really wanted to coach. And I was started off an assistant coach with a junior team and a high school team in New Jersey. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to be a head coach at a high school level in New Jersey at a place called Jonathan Dayton High School and also an assistant coach with a, a team that was in the NA. It was in the IJ at the time, but it was in a junior league that's no longer around. And now it's in the NA3. I think they were bought into that. Uh, but really, everything uh, took a big turn when uh, I moved up to, to New Hampshire in 20, 2012. Uh, and I started off, I coached with the New Hampshire Junior Monarchs. I coached with a program called Laconia Leafs. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to take over the program in Laconia with the New England Wolves. And uh, we had a ton of success early on, built that program, expanded it from one team to uh, you know five or six teams, depending upon the year. Uh, and we've really grown that program, and it's been a lot of fun. And that journey going from, from a, a new start expansion team to where we are now, sitting at first place in the EHL, has been really, <laughs> has been really awesome. So I love talking about where our program has gone, and uh, that's my story in a nutshell. There you go. There you go. Uh, married kids. Yeah, I'm. I'm married. Um, my wife Jill has been very supportive of hockey for me. Uh, you know, she deals with long hours and all that kind of good stuff. And then I got two little ones. I got a daughter Blake, who's nine years old. She tried hockey for about a year and a half, and then she said, "Dad, oh, I'm not. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to focus on dancing." <laughs> and she loves dancing. But my son Bear plays hockey. He plays for the Seacoast Spartans. It's a program about an hour south of us. And he's had a big game tomorrow against the Boston Junior Rangers. He hates the Rangers uh, at any level, whether it's the New York Rangers or the Boston Junior Rangers, whatever it may be, he hates them. So that'll be a fun game. How about you, Trevor? 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm not as extensive, I guess. I'm more of a, uh, you know, this is now my 13th year coaching. Um, I started off playing, you know, growing up, I did learn to skate out here at the uh, old Polar Dome out here in West Dundee they used to have, or was it East Dundee, one of the two Dundees. Um, and then uh, I realized that, uh, you know, my uncle who got me into it, he was a roller hockey guy. I mean, the whole family, big Blackhawk fan. So, of course, I went and played roller hockey. Um, so I did that for like the first five, six, seven years. So we're talking about like 12. I made the transition back over to ice hockey. Um, I played in a, you know, more or less like a house in house league, not an actual like out here in Chicago where we've got travel house. It was an in-house. So did that for a year. Then I went right to house hockey. It was more or less just because, you know, his concern was like, Hey, you know, you might get one of those coaches that are a real, you know, jerk. And if you, you know, it's, it's ice time is not free or, you know, you got to earn your ice time. So, uh, you know, and would hate for me to be sitting at the end of the bench. So the very next year I did try out for travel and I made the top team. And it was kind of one of those things where it was like, oh, see, I could have been playing here last year. But but anyhow, I mean, I learned a lot through that. So I played uh, after that two years of high school for uh, JV for Bartlett High School and then two years of varsity. Uh, and then uh, I think my freshman year we were uh, JV uh, state runner up. So that was pretty cool, except the actual state game where we played against one of the powerhouses out here and like the entire school is there and everything. And it's cool playing. I mean, out here in Chicago, you don't always get that uh, like type of atmosphere playing in front of like your school and stuff. And then we were getting slaughtered like five to two or five to (laughs) one after the first period and everybody just dipped. So it was like, all right, well, we're back to play in front of our parents. So (laughs) after that, I uh, went to the uh, now defunct Robert Morris university uh, I think they're now Roosevelt. I uh, played a little bit of ACHA hockey. And then just because of that gap between playing roller and ice, I just never learned. Like I had the skills. I just, you know, I was an average skater in high school. But as you very well know, uh, as you move up, the game gets faster. And if you're an average skater at one level, you might become the, you know, below average skater at the next level. And that was my, basically my story. So I got out of, uh, I left and I got right into coaching, went back to my alma mater high school and worked uh, there uh, as an assistant coach on the varsity and JV team for a year. And then um, took a couple of years off, uh, you know, just chasing girls, stuff like that. <laughs> and then um, playing men's league thinking I had all the answers, but then uh, yeah, I joined um, I, my younger cousins uh, started playing hockey. Uh, over out here um, in a town called Hoffman Estates. So I, uh, my coach, my uncle was a coach of one of the teams. I ended up going over and meeting the hockey director there, just seeing if I could get my foot in the door. I was working a couple part-time jobs. Um, and we talked for about, I don't know. Um, well, I thought it was going to be a brief 10-minute discussion, but if anybody knows Randy Jordan, he is a fanatic about hockey. <laughs> big uh bc vancouver guy um and i walked into his office and you know we just sat down and just introduced me and he was like it kind of seemed like it was gonna be like one of those little um you know like oh you might get paid you might not get paid you know and i was just like all right whatever i can do to get back in the game and all i did was bring up the fact that he had a very old canucks jersey in his office and i brought in i was like you know 
you ever hear how Pavel Bure, they say he actually started his, in, you know, his forward stride on the outside edge. His eyes lit up and we ended up talking hockey for an hour and a half. I ended up walking out with being paid. So um, that was cool. So I was with them for 10 years. Um, I worked my way up from doing learn to skate uh, all the way up to actually running the travel program for a few years. Um, things, you know, didn't work out uh, to the way I wanted them to. Um, and then I ended up uh, kind of leaving. And now I'm just uh coach last year, a peewee team for one organization. And now I'm at uh what I'm hoping is my new home for a while because I don't want to be bouncing around uh, another organization out of uh, Mount Prospect, Illinois. So, um, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's I, I don't have any of the, uh, you know, the accolades. I'm more or less just kind of looking forward to uh, seeing, you know, learning as much as I can. I don't have any of all the answers. Just, you know, as you know, it's there's so many different opinions about hockey. But, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh having us being able to connect now and uh, get this, you know, going on, get it going off the road here and let's uh, take off and see what we can do. So absolutely, I think that's one of the beauties with oh, like, you know, the beauties of being a student of the game is, you, you know, you want to be a coach who's a lifelong learner. You know, you don't want to just take the stuff you, whether you played at, at the NCAA division one level pro hockey or, you know, a lower level, it doesn't really matter as long as you're a lifelong learner who can connect with kids and, and, uh, you know, can identify with any, every single kid in that room, you can teach something to those kids. And that makes a big difference. You know, like I think looking back on my life, one of my favorite coaches was a guy named Lou Manzione and he was a, you know, a legend in New Jersey in the brick hockey club. And, you know, he basically, he would put on skates, but he couldn't move past the bench. You know, he, he wasn't, wasn't For sure, yeah. on, but, he was a, but then, you know, you look at a guy like I coach with Tim Coons now and Tim Coons, you know, was a national champion at Boston college and, he was a nine-year professional player, was drafted by the Hurricanes, and he's a tremendous coach. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's other guys who have the same resume and can't connect with kids and can't communicate. So it's yep. not about really what you know. It's Well, what you know does matter, but like it's how you connect what you know and, and right. how, how you can identify with kids and how you can get them believing in, in what you're teaching. That's just as important as any other skill. Absolutely. And, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, you see all the – over the years being in Chicago, especially, you know, recently since the the cups and stuff last 10 years, you've had different guys come out and coach and it's no knock against any of the pros, but even pros from, you know, wherever other teams that have come back, you know, to, you know, coach here in Chicago, just because you played pro doesn't, as you just said, you know, it doesn't really, I mean, it means a lot. Like you've got a lot of, you know, history within the game and experiences, but you can't connect to players or, you know, teams or parents or anything that gets all thrown out the window. It's like you, you could have been the great, you could be Wayne Gretzky. I mean, look what happened with him in, you know, Arizona greatest hockey player ever. And he was what he coached a year. And some of the guys said it was like the worst coaching experience they've ever had. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, again, lifelong learner. I'm always just love learning about the game. You know, I'm sure there's other stuff I could apply myself <laughs> to, but <laughs> I'll stick with the hockey. Absolutely. And it's about being a teacher too. Like you said, like, uh, you can have all the information in the world, but if you can't articulate that information into a way that a kid can understand it, and whether that kid's a mite or a learn to skate or the kid's a midget or the kid's a, you know, NCAA hockey player or a pro athlete, you know, you have to be able to connect to your audience. And that's one thing that like, I think gets overlooked a lot that uh, your ability to connect with the people you're communicating with is the most important thing. And uh, you know, people dial up X's and O's all the time, whether it's 
you know, this four checker, that four checker, that breakout, or whatever it may be. But it's it's really about what your audience is, connecting that information, and getting them all to buy into it. That's that's critical. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I uh, saw it, and I think that you know kind of leads us into what uh, what is the plan for this show? You know, the hockey toolkit. What is it going to be different? You know, from all the others. And you know, to be honest there might be a lot of things that we do that others do. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, from, from our perspective though, you know, the podcast is going to be a little bit more different in the sense that, you know, we're going to talk about the positives and negatives of the amateur hockey experience. You know, we'll have a weekly focus and different um, topics that we'll be going over, but you also have, you know, coaches, especially Andrew himself, you know, he's on the East coast here. I'm on the you know Midwest. The game's a little different in each, uh, you know, each area of the state. So, um, especially with how it's ran and how it's done, good, bad, and ugly. You know, I can tell you plenty of horror stories about Illinois <laughs> hockey, but uh, we, but we only have a certain amount of time per month uh, for this uh, program we're using. So, but uh, you know, some of the topics might include skill development, uh, team building, program development, culture. I mean, any and you know, any and more. Uh, for those people listening, if you've got something you'd, you'd love to hear about, I, please let us know. We'll make sure we drop our, uh, you know, we're both pretty active on Twitter. Uh, we'll drop those. We'll also drop our emails. Uh, send us something. I might not have the answer. You know, Andrew might not have the answer, but we'll go find it. We'll go find the people uh, that do. And we plan on actually, you know, here, I'll let you go. I, I don't want to take yeah. all the fun. No, that's, that's all good, man. I think we want to also like, as you mentioned, we want to dive into a specific topic in a specific episode and then also have our guests uh, relay their information on that specific topic. So we're not just bringing on, you know, uh, John Doe to talk about his college hockey program and pump the tires of what he's doing at uh, <laughs> right. Middle Tennessee State or whatever. I don't. You know, a lot of podcasts do that, or they tell. Sorry to that John Doe, yeah, who's that movie? He's <laughs> yeah. just like, what the hell now? Why can't I be on? <laughs> Sorry I to agree. call you out, John, but yeah, <laughs> but we want to have him come on and talk for five, six minutes about a specific topic. So, you know, when you, as the listener, listen to this, you know, I want to learn about how does this guy build his culture at his program. Well, that's going to be that segment, the topic of that segment for twenty minutes. Uh, it's not going to be his whole hockey background. It's just going to be about that specific topic. So, you know, if you tune in, you can get, uh, you know, a, a deep dive in a short amount of time from a, a good resource. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, again, I mean, we don't, we're both busy guys, um, or at least I like to think I'm busy. I know you're busy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, um, you know, we don't want to go on for, you know, an hour and a half podcast, just talking, you know, I mean, I'm sure there'll be times where we do. Uh, but that's not our goal here. You know, our goal is to make it fun, informed, uh, but also so we're not, you know, dragging everybody's uh, just dragging their lives out here listening to it. So, And I think the unique thing, too, we, we mentioned is, uh, you know, we can tease a little bit next week's episode, not just bringing on coaches, but current active players, people who are who are experiencing things now and um, what they can give us current active feedback from their unique perspective as a current player or participant. Um, and then also getting that information from other resources, people who've had experience on, you know, multiple different avenues when they're, when they're coaching. Um, I think that'll be unique too, is like, you're getting that player's perspective, you're getting that coaching's perspective or that managerial perspective, and you're getting a lot of information from different avenues. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and again, that's the fun part is that there's so many people out there and not every 
as much as we wish every season would be a dream season, not every season is that way. There's so many different ways of doing things. And sometimes, you know, some, you know, as you said, so-and-so might be more, uh, you know, successful in different areas than another person, you know, and again, we might even go over the same topic with different people because again, there's no right. Well, there's, there's plenty of wrong ways to do things, <laughs> but you know, there is a sense of, we want to make sure that, you know, we're, let's try and find out what works just not from one person, but from other people, what other topics, what other things do happen. So, like I said, if anybody's gotten anything out there, like thoughts or questions or anything, please let us know. Uh, again, we'll make sure we drop that information in the show notes and on our t- on Twitter, because that's pretty much where we're pretty popular, I guess you'd say. Um, neither of us have the blue check mark, but go ahead. <laughs> and before we get to our, our five myths, which we're going to have as our, 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 seg- you know, our ending segment on every show, uh, tell me about your last weekend. How'd your team do? Um, what's right. I'd rather not talk. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, as you know, we were talking in the pre-show, it was, uh, this year I've got a team. Uh, we've got two kids that are actually coming back from, uh, previous seasons. Everybody else I'm coaching a 16 year team is brand new to the program. So you've got, as we like to say, it's kind of a, ho- <laughs> excuse me, a little bit of a hodgepodge here. So we're going through some growing pains. It's still early in the year and you're, you're learning exactly what kids have been taught by coaches in the past or programs in the past, what, what to do, what not to do. Um, and again, there's some like dispelling of myths out there itself, you know, like again, it's not nothing different for you or I, but like, I've got kids like, Oh, you can't pass the puck up the middle. Well, why not? Sure. Is there a guy open? You know, is there, if there's no one there, why not? You know, so now that that's happened, but um, you know, this past weekend was a little rough, but again, we're learning a lot of lessons and we don't really get a whole lot of, uh, you know, preseason time out here on uh, the league that I'm coaching in, uh, in Chicago here. So it's kind of, you jump right in, you know, we maybe had like three weeks of actual team practices and then we're like right, ready to go. So a team like ours who goes up and plays against kids that have been playing the game with each other for a while or under the same philosophy, depending on the, you know, the, the actual program itself. It's uh you know, it can be a little bit of a, you know, again, it's just a giant learning experience. Am I having fun? Absolutely. I'm trying to make it fun for the kids. Uh, we, we're just trying to build a lot of structure, a lot of discipline within the, the team itself. And I'm not saying like behavioral discipline, but just like, Hey, this is what we got to do, you know, in our own zone, you know, all the fun stuff that uh, us coaches love harping on. Um, and then we'd repeat ad nauseum and then <laughs> keeps us up at night. But uh, no, I mean, it's uh, it last, uh, the last, basically last weekend, we, we, uh, we got our butts kicked pretty good. But again, it was, you know, what? it was a learning experience. Uh, we either, we win or we learn. Um, and even when we're winning, we're still learning. So, uh, how about yourself? How's things going out there on the East coast? Well, that's fun. It's funny. You mentioned like, uh, that kind of, you know, that, that experience of, of having those early season struggles, you know, uh, that probably, you know, can segue later into what we're going to talk about with our five minutes, but you know, our EHL team last season started one and nine and, uh, we basically kept the same roster together because there was, there was a lot of good intangibles in that room. And, uh, you know, the captain was a really good leader. This guy, Julius Gavondal, who went right from the EHL to playing professional hockey over in Norway. Um, and ah, there was a lot awesome. of good, there's a lot of good character kids in that room who had been there for multiple years. Uh, but slowly they started to kind of chip away. They ch- chipped away into that, that eight, you know, eight game deficit. And by the end of the season, they finished second in the division and 
we won a round in the playoffs and then we won the play-in game. We made our ways to the frozen finals. So uh, nice. that was, that was a remarkable, remarkable year. And it, you know, like you said, if, if you don't learn those lessons early on, then you don't get to where you are at the end of the road. Uh, my first right. year in Laconia here with our first New England Wolves team that played in the old Metropolitan Junior Hockey League, we started <laughs> off three and eight. We started off three and eight and we were, uh, we got just bamboozled at a showcase in Long Island. Um, I think one game was like 10-2, and it was just awful. Um, but but that th- same thing, you kind of chipped away. All like the metrics we had, and the character in the room was really strong. And by the end of the year, you know, we had 20 wins. Uh, we made the playoffs. We finished second in the division. It was, it was a good year. Now, our team this year, our EHL team, it's really strong. Uh, I think we have more talent than we've ever had before. My role in the organization has kind of changed because last year was kind of a a difficult year with some parenting stuff. Uh, so I wanted to no, kind of take a year. That never happens. Yeah, for happy. sure. Yeah. So I, I said to my, my business partner, Tim Kuhns, and I said, you know, I'd really like to take kind of a year off and focus on being a good assistant coach and managing, you know, the organization properly and just kind of like assist you guys because I want to kind of clear my head and get back into my love of the game and love of coaching. Uh, and I'm feeling pretty good about things right now. Like, I think this was the right move to kind of detoxify a little bit. Uh, and the team's doing great. We're, we're like 8-1. and one. Uh, They're number one in the EHL power rankings. Our EHL premier team, our younger team, is uh, like 4-1. and one. They're doing really, really well. So um, our 16s is 6-0 and in, our, in, our, in New Hampshire Tier 2. So things are going really well. And I, you know, I was listening to another podcast this week with a guy who used to work for my dad in New Jersey. His name's Derek Lalonde. He's the coach at Detroit. He worked for, oh, worked for okay. my dad like 25 what a years big ago. Big name drop. <laughs> yeah, it is a big name drop. But he worked for my. I only know Joe Smith, the guy in Middleton, Tennessee. <laughs> That's the only guy I know, really. So, but Derek said on the podcast that he was on this week. He said, "Managers manage, coaches coach, and players play." And uh, I think this year I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm just focusing on making sure everything's running smoothly, so that our, the guys can be empowered to coach the way they want to coach, and the players can have every resource they need, so that they can go out and execute. And um, I think we're on the right track. We're doing pretty well. I mean, that's awesome that you are. And it takes a lot of, I guess you could say, you know, I mean, it takes a lot, especially as coaches, we all have egos. Let's not, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves here, but it takes a lot to be able to step back and say, you know, I mean, take the, the pre, you know, the parental issues out of the equation, but <laughs> it takes a lot to be able to step back and say, Hey, you know what? I want to be, you know, I'm just going to assist and I'll, you know, manage you know, compared to being the head coach, like that's a lot. I, and I, you know, I, I, I applaud you for being willing to doing that because not many people would be willing to do that. And, you know, it'd be an ego. It'd definitely be like a hit to their ego. So that's definitely, uh, so at least the listeners know where you're coming from me. I'm just going straight to trying to go straight to the top. I'll cut knees, <laughs> you know, I'll cut corners, everything I can do. Bullet a China <laughs> shop, right? You got to go. <laughs> exactly. You know what? I'll, I'll, t- I'll rat you out. I will make up face false information all day. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I mean, again, kudos to you for willing to just recognize that even for yourself mentally, you're just like, all right, burnt out. You know, you were able to make that, uh, you know, make that, I wouldn't say step back, but that, plunge into accepting that type of role and again i think that's uh that's that's awesome that's Thanks, uh, i mean i definitely I, I may hold grudges i may like you know <laughs> uh, nobody says you can't i mean <laughs> you know and maybe next year when i come back as a you know whatever level i decide to coach next year i i plan on you know having a good team <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i get to course, yeah. a little bit more this year and that's going to be positive but 
you know, overall, I think this was like from the, uh, the mental health of it. Like I love hockey. And when I get up in the morning, I'm thinking hockey. When I go to sleep at night, I'm thinking hockey. There was a reason why I got, you know, it was four years. I probably didn't step in a rink after college because of, you know, I then I, yeah. then I it came back to it because I love hockey. And, uh, yeah, sometimes you have to kind of rediscover that, that magic again, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, for me again, I was doing, you know, I was an assistant director. I was the then the director and it was, it was taxing, especially with the small program. And you're out here in Chicago where, you know, we, there's, I mean, you could throw a golf ball. I can't throw a golf ball that far, but you could like literally, you know, the saying you could hit a golf ball or, you know, baseball, any direction. We've got a huge club that's just ready to take the kids that we are developing that, we did. We did a fantastic job of actually putting in that work. Again, kudos to Randy Jordan and all those other folks that uh, you know I worked, got to work, learn, and work with. Um, you know, kudos to them because we developed a lot of great young hockey players. Um, you know, one of which is actually on the um, this past year. She was on the USA hockey team for uh, I think the eighteen U's. The, I don't know if the girls would call it the world juniors, but I mean, again, we developed some great players and it, it was tough. It was uh tough losing them year after year. So you, you kind of get defeated and then having to rebuild a program and, you know, out here in Chicago, you have these no recruiting rules that I, we'll talk about that another time, but nobody really <laughs> follows. But so, yeah, I mean, it was mentally draining and then, you know, going through the COVID season, um, that was pretty much it. And I was just, I was out there, so I uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I wanted to coach again or not. So luckily I was able to, uh, again, have a great network of people who kind of went to bat for me and got me uh, hooked up with a group uh, and then basically with a hockey director who, again, he's got more teams than I ever had, and I don't envy his job, but I think he does a great job. And um, now I'm starting to get that itch again of like, all right, maybe I want to do more than just coach a team. Maybe I want to – you know, be a player, you know, director of player personnel or development skills, whatever. So again, yeah, taking that break, uh, mental health. Oh God, that's, uh, that's a, that's just a, it's a godsend. So well, I think that actually, um, when you, you alluded to the COVID season, I think that's really a, a dead on. I, and my wife's a teacher. So we experienced that too. It's, um, you know, coming out of that pan- the pandemic and, you know, everything shut down and then, we made it work. Like we strung everything together. All these organizations and leagues did everything they can to get kids back on the ice. And then we pushed through that year. It was never, it wasn't anything anybody would have expected or anticipated, or it really wasn't good enough for anybody, but we got through it. Right. And then last year was the year after that. And I think a lot of people had a lot of pinup animosity and unrealistic expectations. And we were (laughs) still in this really difficult you know, political environment where there was still a lot of restrictions. And for a lot of people, that was a breaking point. Uh, I know that we really experienced that in our program. We had, you know, we had basically for year after year, we had the same program. It's a structural program. Like we only have one rink in our facility. We only have one gym. It's all the same coaches. Like it, nothing really changed for us, but the parents who were involved with that really felt like, uh, I think they really, there was a great deal of like, uh, you know, what else can you do for me? And that was really disappointing. Uh, so hopefully now this year we're, we're fully out of this stuff and hopefully we're in a better place for our kids because um, they deserve it. They deserve to have a good hockey year. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, for you and I, it's, it's and, and most, 
you know, 99% of the coaches. We're doing it for the kids. For sure. Um, yeah. Do we do some of those get compensated for it? Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't, but, um, you know, again, I, I forgot who I was talking to, but they're like, oh, you know, you got to go to what your other part-time job. I was like, what are you talking about? I only, I work full time, like nine to five. And then I go coach hockey. Well, yeah, that's, that's a job. I'm like, I, that's a job. I mean, okay. Yeah. I get compensated, but that's not a job to me. That's, that's not like the highlight of my week, my highlight of my day that, you know, um, so it, it's just funny how people view those things. And, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think last year I was fortunate to have, again, I was just coaching a peewee team. Um, I had a great group of great group of parents who truly got it. But again, I was up front from the beginning and said, Hey, look, we're going to try and play as many games as we can. I, cause I know your kids are just, I'm sure you're tired of having your kids running around the house, just, <laughs> you know, breaking stuff. And so let's just have some fun. So yeah, no, it's uh again, I think that'll be a definitely a, that'll definitely be at least one, if not two, if not three, maybe four or five episodes of uh, topics on out of all that. But uh yeah, so basically kind of the structure of the show then would be, um, you know, we'd like, typically we'd have our guests here, but we figured, hey, let's everybody uh, get introduced to us first. Um, but from there, we would go into uh, what you are pretty popular for about writing, and I've always appreciated, and I, I can actually now tell you <laughs> face to face over a computer how much I've appreciated you writing those, um, you know, five myths articles, uh, especially not only for my uh which will soon not be defunct but it'll be pretty much doing this now we'll be taking over that spot of uh for the fun of hockey uh, project or whatever i had it is um you were writing for those and i would look at the numbers and i'd be like all right i felt like i wrote this great article and then i would see you know the numbers like oh okay they're good and then i'd see andrew trimble write this article and I mean, it was just phenomenal. Finally, people like I even know were like, oh, man, you got to have him write more. And I was like, what about my article? So, uh, I mean, you were the one who uh, basically brought up the whole five myths itself, you know, the formats. And it's been highly successful for everywhere I've had it. And then I know uh, the Hockey Focus, who has graciously brought us on as uh, their newest podcast. Um, So uh, this is basically where we will uh, every week or not every week, but. Every show, we will be going over some type of, uh, you know, myths that are out there. And I know you're chopping at the bit to go over it. So uh, I guess the first, uh, this very first one's going to be about the, the five myths of uh, team success. So without further ado, Andrew, take it away. So I'll start it off. I think the, the number one myth of all the, of the five myths of team success is that losing seasons are failures. Um, I, what? <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree more. I think that... Uh, Every team, every successful team that you, you see, oftentimes they have to have that losing season before they get to the next level. Uh, you know, my favorite team, I alluded to Jim Dowd and the 1995 New Jersey Devils. If they hadn't lost the year before in the conference finals to the New York Rangers in probably the greatest hockey series of all time, um, yeah, they, that's for sure. they wouldn't have made it the next year. And uh, that taught them how to win by losing the year prior. Um, I think that the year that, uh, was the most pivotal year in our organization was the 2015-16 season with the New England Wolves. We made the playoffs at both levels, our EHL and our EHL elite teams that year, um, but they weren't overly successful. They were, um, you know, we just scraped into the playoffs, uh, but the next year positioned us to make the conference finals and then catapulted us in two years down the road to winning the championship 
in 2018-19. Um, and you learn from that adversity. You learn from those mistakes. And you're able to build a core of kids potentially that stick with the program because they see growth and they see development. Um, you know, if you win just every single game, you don't. And then you're faced with an adverse situation later in the year. You don't know how to handle it. So you need to learn from right. those mistakes. And I think that's one. That's the number one biggest myth when it comes to um, team success is that losing seasons are failures. No, I mean, and I 100% agree with that. As you just said, you know, again, my team itself, we're, we're going through a little bit of, well, it's a rough patch right now. Um, but I would rather learn these lessons now than come playoff time and all of a sudden be learning them then. That would be a tough, tough pill to swallow. So I, you know, I didn't have Jim Dow, but um, <laughs> I didn't have Patrick Kane Taves, and I watched how they, uh, you know, how they got, uh, you know, Detroit, bring them back up. Uh, you know, they were on top of the world for the longest time, and finally it just, they kind of, uh, I remember the, I forgot what year, it was probably 09 10, um, when they finally knocked him off in the conference finals, and that was it. Like, that, everybody knew, like, okay, the changing of the guard has happened. Granted, we had Hosa who came over, but, uh, you know, it's neither here nor there, but, uh, so yeah, no, I, I agree 100% that you have to feel, I mean, there's only so many teams that can win. There's only one winner at the end of the day. So it's, how do you overcome that adversity? How do you react to that loss to that quote unquote failure? That's what really makes, you know, makes or breaks you, builds you. Um, and again, I think a lot of, I think a lot of teams, a lot of coaches just kind of get, you know, like, ah, whatever. But the ones that really get better, the ones that nail home, like, hey, what did you, and again, for me, it's like, what did you guys learn today? This past weekend, I asked like every kid on the team, what did you learn? What in the game? And don't tell me what I just said, but what did you learn on your own? And when you get those different answers, you're hoping they stick and that they continue to remember that and like start applying that to themselves, not only themselves, but the rest of the team. So I, uh, I agree with that myth for sure. And I do agree that that is the uh, biggest one. Uh, number two though, uh, would be saying the kids have changed. Um, and I think it's funny that, you know, how you wrote that um, <laughs> because there are times where I'm sitting there shaking my head and I'm just like, these kids, they're, they have changed, but, they have changed in a certain aspect of, you know, where are they, how they're learning, you know, again, God, I wish there's YouTube was as popular as it is now when I was playing. I <laughs> sure. Don't think I would have been a better skater, maybe doubtful, but I would have learned so much more. And it's, you know, how do we communicate with them? How do, how do I become a better coach working with them? Um, you know, and again, times have changed um, and the players, yeah, they've changed a little bit, but you've got to evolve and you have to be, get better. Um, and if you don't, everything will pass you by. I mean, you and I both know that you can go to plenty of rinks and it's the same guys that, you know, just the game's passed them by. Those old school ways just don't work. Um, so it's, again, as a coach, it's trying to, you know, move your team forward. It's important to recognize that these challenges that there are these challenges, embrace new and different approaches. And I think, honestly, again, podcasts like this, you know, just the dialogue that you and I, but everybody has nowadays, like even on Twitter, and again, everybody can have their own opinion. You know, you, you can use Twitter for many different ways. Um, but in my opinion, it's, you know, I've 
learned a lot from there because I'm able to go directly to these coaches or to these ex-players or these directors, managers or whatever. And I'm able to learn for myself, you know, like, hey, this is, you know, diversity is the new norm here. Like, how do we, how can I make this better for the players? Um, You know, and again, from my standpoint, um, I see that a lot and I've learned so much doing it. So that's at least my part of what I think of that myth. Any thoughts of your own? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, everybody's changed and you have to evolve and move with those changes. And you have to recognize those changes and the strongest coaches can identify um, with any kid at any level. So I I think that it's just a, it's kind of the easy way out just to say, oh, the kids have changed and, and, and uh, they're not as tough as they used to be or this and that. It's like, well, (laughs) you know, you got to be better. Just, you know, step up and be better. That's all. Right. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, my myth number three is uh, not every age kid can benefit from video meetings. Um, I, I had, <laughs> I know I heard, I heard a coach say this one time uh, in the pro shop at the Merrill Fay Ice Arena. And he said, oh, you know, my kids, we can't, we can't sit through a video. And I was thinking like, what are you, what are you hooking up a projector and like pulling down the big screen and like, <laughs> you know, what are you watching old videos of Gordy Howe? It's like, I can't sit through that. I don't know how you could have a kid sit through that. It's like, well, you have to right. <laughs> your audience, right? Like kids don't watch Gone with the Wind, like a four hour movie anymore. They watch a 90 minute no. Marvel movie. So you have to tailor to your audience and. Any- to be fair, though, I don't. I don't think too many kids would have been watching Gone with the Wind to begin with. But I get what you're saying. <laughs> fair though. enough. Fair enough. I, I actually, I, I, truth be told, I've actually never seen Gone with the Wind either. So, uh, I had to watch it in high school. That's they had to force us. But oh, sorry, go that's ahead. Brutal. I, yeah, it was. <laughs> the, that's um, why I didn't pass. <laughs> so I, I think kids, you know, you give them. In, uh, you know, we have a team app now. On you know that we communicate with our players because they're on their phones all the time. So we have a team app that the kids use. And I can send them video or we can send them links to things. Uh, we can send them the lineup, the scouting report. All that kind of information can go right to their phone and they look at it and they can get that information because they're on their phone anyway. So you have to communicate to your audience. And uh, every kid can benefit from seeing the mistakes they make, seeing the positive things that they make and their peers make, and then also learning from from pros in you know a professional game. I think kids don't watch full games anymore, but if they see clips of positive plays, you know, they can implement that in their game instead of just the end result, the goal, but they see the, the plays that happened prior to the goal. Uh, those are really, really critical and really important. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I've, we've actually just been using WhatsApp um, for our, you know, team stuff. And if I find an article or a video or a highlight or something, especially something we've been going over in practice, I'll fire that baby off as fast <laughs> as possible and just be like, Hey, you know, Hey, look, it works with the pros and might work with us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, you know, it was very oddly specific that you still remember exactly where you heard that uh, person say that about video. But, yeah, uh, He's not coaching yeah it's, anymore, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, well, well, there might be a reason. Um, but, no, yeah, it's, um, again, I, I think videos obviously great, especially with, you know, how they say kids are now. They learn visually, uh, auditory, you know, via hearing or hands-on. Um, well, you're knocking two of them out of the park right there with video. Uh, so again, I love it. I use it maybe too much. Um, but you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to watch some great highlights, but, uh, so yeah, myth number four here, uh, the teams with the best players win. 
that uh, while it might seem true, and typically at the end of every NHL season, you see teams with great players. Everybody's got to be different, though. Everybody's got a role. Um, and you you can play those roles. I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. Um, you know, you could be the most talented team. And if you don't put the effort in, what are you going to – I mean, you're not going to get much out of it. If you're just going to coast, nothing good's going to happen. Uh, I mean, you might, but I mean, again, as you said, you know, in your article here, it's, you know, you have to understand your role. You have to welcome collaboration. You've got to hold yourself accountable. You know, you have to be flexible. You have to have a positive attitude. You know, you have to commit yourself to the team. If you don't do those things, and again, if you don't have players that are willing to do it, you're you're not going to, you know, that's not going to breed success just because, oh, yeah, I got the most talented kids. Um, you know, my uncle from one of them, one of the people I remember choosing, you know, teams during tryouts as a finally travel coach, you know, and somebody would say, well, why, you know, why are you not taking this kid? And I'd be sitting there and I'd be like, you know, why am I not taking this kid? He's one of the best, you know, not one of the best, but he's in that middle of the pack there, you know, in the bubble. And, but I'd be like, you know, I just don't have that feeling, you know, come push, come to shove, which is this kid going to make it? And, you know, and I remember him telling me specifically, he said, you're not here to pick, you know the best players you're here to pick the right players and that's going to overall make your team overall the best um it can be and again some guys as we both know they can't handle sitting out the final minute of a game you know because they're a liability in their own zone hey they might be able to score some great goals but if they but if you're hemmed in your own zone you're starting there that's not their role it's not their role they're not gonna be able to handle it so I, I mean, I agree again, 1000%. Um, you know, I don't think you'll find me disagreeing too much on any of these. Um, but yeah, the teams with the, you know, the best players win. Um, I don't, I don't agree with that always. Uh, I do think though that, yeah, talent will beat hard work when, you know, you know, but that whole saying, uh, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, but I still think if you're a really talented team, you can still beat somebody, but again, you have to have those players that buy in. Um, and you talk about that Rangers team. I mean, look how, how many of those guys are you know, in the Hall of Fame. Look at how many of those guys were at one point the star of their team. And then they ended up, you know, they got to take a backseat. They got to be, you know, they're willing to accept their role as a third liner instead of being on the power play. They're willing to accept their role as a fourth line penalty kill instead of being, you know, playing in the middle six or playing, you know, next to mess the year before, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, again, I think that's definitely a big myth about uh, always having the best players. Yeah, I think at the youth level, like the younger you get, the more that applies. Like, the, you know, the team you come off with the bus, the peewee team, who's the most talented, generally can win because they're so malleable by the coach and their parents are driving them to the games. And I think oftentimes that works. But when you get older and the physicality increases and you have good coaching that can – you know, pick up another team's tendencies, and just there's more dynamics involved with the with that that level. Then, the, then it changes the changes the makeup, and it, and I think it doesn't apply as much. Certainly in the NHL, you know, there's only eight teams that have won the President's Trophy. You've also won the Stanley Cup out of the hundred something years of of this of uh, you know Stanley Cup championships. So I think that although that can it definitely helps to have the best team when you walk walk in the in the rink that the best team but behind you. That doesn't always apply that guarantee that you're going to win the game. No, and I sometimes I think that actually makes it a it 
makes it more difficult at certain times because it's expected that you're to win. And if you're making small little mistakes mentally, that's going to mess you up a little bit. And then you're going to start, you know, put more pressure on yourself. So I'm okay being an underdog. I mean, I would love to be a favorite every now and then, but I'm okay being an <laughs> underdog too. Absolutely. Well, I think that brings us to our fifth myth, which I yep. think is, uh, you know, this the myth, the myth of, of losing cultures, you know, that your organization has a lo- losing culture. Um, I, I think every organization is an empty cup and it's what you put into that cup. You know, I think that culture is, you know, starts from the top down and also starts with the bottom, being able to buy into that belief. Um, you know, you look at some of the, my, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. So, you know, we've had 20 years of not making the playoffs, but you bring in the right head coach, you get the right quarterback. They've already had a great fan base that believes in that team. And now, you know, they're firing on all cylinders. Would you have said five years ago that the Buffalo Bills have a losing culture? You probably would say that, but just one or two small changes completely change the dynamics of that entire organization. Uh, you look at the other end, like I'm also a New Jersey Devils fan right now. We're mired in, uh, you know, nine out of the last 10 <laughs> years, we haven't made the playoffs. But historically, they've been a great organization. Um, oh, but God, just yeah. one or two t- small tweaks can change everything. Um, it's not necessarily, it's not the building. It's not a haunted building. I, I think that uh, culture is really what you put into it and what you get the belief out of those guys in that room. That makes all the difference in the culture of your organization. I, I also think at the end of the day with this, especially this whole entire myths on successes, everybody has to define their own success. And if your success is just going to be based on wins and losses, which again, at the higher levels, yeah, that makes, it does make sense. But again, for you, uh, you know, take for your example, you know, you're, you're going to age some kids out of juniors, but you're also going to have kids returning the next year. So, you know, what? if you don't, let's say you don't win the championship, uh, you know, in previous years and those kids moved on, but you're still developing those other kids for the next season. And it's, okay, what success did we get this season going into next year? Um, and again, it's the same thing like you said with the Bills. And, okay, you're part of the Bills mafia. I get it. <laughs> um, but, again, it, it, for me, it was also one of the things is that, again, we were, when I was, again, based in Hoffman, we had some great players. We had some We had some great teams. Things started slowly going off the tracks and, People would, you know, have their own comments here and there. But again, I looked at it success of, are these kids getting better? Are we getting better as a team? Um, you know, and again, with player movement, things change, but everybody has to have their own definition of success. And again, you can change a culture. I mean, it, whether it's bringing in a new coach, whether it's bringing in a new manager, whether it's just changing the way you've done things in the past because again, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If you do any of those things, it can change. It might not happen that very second, but if it, people start buying in and it's something, it's something that works, then yeah, it's you can change that culture for sure. And I think that you know the things that you alluded to, like having certain standards and expectations out of those athletes, that you know if if you make those things accountable to all those kids. You know, that, that creates a higher standard, a higher bar that players have to live up to. And that's really important in creating a winning culture. Uh, but on the other end of that, um, you know, we've always done, my teams, we've always done a jacket or a chain that, you know, whether win or lose, we can take a positive out of this game. And somebody made a contribution that went above and beyond and recognizing that, you know, maybe we didn't win the game yet. We didn't get the outcome that we wanted, 
but the all the the ingredients were there to have some success, um, and that people you know deserve the recognition in, over the course of that game for that give, going the extra mile or giving that extra effort. That creates a culture of you know accountability and a culture a culture of belief in each other. Um, so I think there are small things that you can do to change the culture. It doesn't necessarily mean like you got to change the logo or change the colors of the team where you got to no, move the team. Right, yeah. But I think there are a lot of things that you can do within an organization to completely change the dynamics within that room. Absolutely. I've had my the most fun of bring going in with a group that has had that quote unquote, you know, oh, losing culture and going in and trying to change it. And again, it doesn't happen. Some you can do little things that'll happen, maybe start doing little trickle effects long term, but you also have, you know, you start implementing the right ideas, the right this is how we're gonna try and do things moving forward. It's fun. It's fun being on that end. You know, it's honestly it's it's more fun, I think, than just walking into something and just being given the wins, you know, or giving that great team. That's my opinion. I mean so I, I I agree. It's, uh, you know, losing culture, it, it can change. Um, you know, that's a myth. Absolutely. Well, I think we covered them there, Trevor. I think we had a good first yeah. first episode. We got Hopefully we gave some good information to the people that are listening. I'm excited about next week. Next week we got a good episode for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I don't want to tease too much what it's going to be, <laughs> but uh, we do got some uh, two good guests that uh, I'm looking forward to learning uh, what, you know, their – the thoughts and opinions are on the t- the topic. Um, and again, we're not going to give anything away. So uh, uh, yeah, so that's basically uh, episode one of the, the hockey toolkit. Uh, I'm Trevor Carlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, make sure you uh, like subscribe, all that other fun stuff uh, so that we can uh, get the updates when we post uh, episodes. So thanks a lot. Thanks Trevor. This is great.